Good afternoon, Ecclesia, and um, welcome once again to our Sunday online service. Uh, pardon me for uh, making these last-minute adjust, last-second adjustments to the lectern. Just trying to get that to okay, wrong knob <laughs> to the right height for me. Um, one second. I think that should be fine. We good? <clears throat> good afternoon again. Um, well, good morning. Okay. All right. Now, um, today, I mean, if I ever needed a transporter in the USS Enterprise to work, I need it today, <laughs> you know. I mean, for those of you who have never watched um, Star Trek, you know, the, the, voyages of, the voyages of Jean-Luc Picard and the crew is not complete without them transporting themselves through time and matter um, <clears throat> to places where they could investigate things they couldn't understand from the comforts of the all-singing, almost all-knowing USS Enterprise spaceship as they travel through time. Um, <clears throat> though in that sense, we are only about 2,000 years away from Corinth, uh, where we are continuing in our current Bible, our current preaching series. Uh, we're looking at the first letter of Paul to the church in Corinth. Um, no, we're only 2,000 years away from there. In today's uh, sermon, we begin looking at some regulations that Paul begins to address for public worship in the church. And we can easily confuse today's gender definitions and roles for the way they really are. Uh, but straight away from here, it's necessary for us to travel back in time, um, even beyond first century Corinth, to get a clear vision of biblical manhood and womanhood and the biblical roles of men and women in church and in church life. So um, let's travel straight away. I mean, let's beam ourselves right to the beginning of creation as Scripture tells us, as we see in the Bible. I mean, the first thing the Bible tells us about human beings is that they were created male and female and that both men and women were created in the image of God. Um, don't panic. We're going to read the text. We'll pray. We'll open up. Um, for those of you who are used to things being done in a particular, proper way, you know. Um, but the first thing the Bible tells us about uh, human beings is that they were created male and female. And that both men and women were created in the image of God. We read that in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. If we can all just turn there or swipe there or select there in our phones, Bibles, we read that, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You know, there's no misstep 
or miswriting. It wasn't type, you know, printer's devil, just the way it's put there. But we see that God created man, and then he created man, male and female, in his image. This is a tremendous privilege and honor to bear God's image. And it's something that the Bible clearly teaches is shared by both men and women. So, <clears throat> I know how easily I can get confused with words, so I've relied heavily on Dr. Wayne Grudem to help present this clearly. Um, so, it is a tremendous privilege and honor to bear God's image. And it's something that the Bible clearly teaches is shared by both men and women. Both men and women are more like God than anything else in the universe. Therefore, from the very beginning, the Bible clearly states that men are not superior to women and women are not inferior to men. They both have equal importance and value to God. With that said, let's um, pray and or let's read first of all our text, the section of text that we're looking at today in Paul's letter as we turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And reading from verses 2 through to 16. And then we'll pray and just continue in, the, uh, in this consideration for today. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and reading from verse 2. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors God. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off her head, her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. Verse 7, a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not, every, does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But, it, but that if a woman has long hair, it is for her glory. It is her glory, for long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. And we take a moment to pray. Lord, teach us today. This is 
your word. You've inspired Paul to address specific concerns with regard to the conduct of public worship in Corinth. And without a doubt, your word is um, eternally relevant, even as it is written that all scripture is um, inspired by you and is useful for doctrine, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, for reproof that the man of God, you know, might not be ashamed, but even as he rightly divides the word of truth, will be equipped and prepared for every good work. So I pray, Lord, guide us today, even as we consider the truths from this word concerning the worship of the church today. Um, instruct us, guide us, and let us uh, be benefited and blessed for these things that have been written for us upon whom the end of the ages has come, that we may be well instructed and uh, indeed have great joy as we glorify you in our worship together. We give you thanks for this and ask for your direction and leading for your utterance today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, um, as we've been um, saying, and as we've been considering this letter and going through the letter from Paul to the church in Corinth, like I said earlier on, we come to a section where Paul begins to address regulations in public worship. And as we see from the very onset, from verses 2 and um, from verse 2, Paul continues his pastoral um, letter and talks about being glad that the, the church is remembering him, uh, keeping him in mind, and observing the traditions that he has delivered to them. And now considers it very, very important to bring these, um, this imp these some important truth to their attention, for them to pay very, very careful attention to these facts. And what is he presenting? I've, I've started out by um, referring us back to, first of all, the fact that m man and woman are made, or man is created, male and female, in the image of God. And both male and female represent God, and I beg your pardon, just need to keep should have said this before, before setting out. One second. But male and female, man and woman are both created in the image of God and both um, represent God more than anything else in creation. Um, can I just ask, please, if someone can just help me grab um, a charger for this iPad over there and hook me up to some juice, please. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Sorry about this, everyone. Um, extreme brightness. Auto look. Never. Thank you. So you can just you can you can just stick it in. Bring that closer and stick it in here. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, wow, amazing. Give me the end. Thank 
you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Saved. <laughs> Apologies, everyone, for that um, disruption that I've I introduced in there. So, um, and the point is that that, we, that I made earlier on in introducing this was that man and woman are, are made both in the image of God. One is not inferior to the other. Uh, man is not superior to, to, to the men. The men are not superior to women. Women not inferior to men. They both have equal importance and value to God. And Paul is, is bringing this point into uh, concerns that he's addressing with regard to uh, how public worship is regulated. Why do we say that? Let's look at the text together as we just walk through it. Um, and before I continue, I need to say this. Time will not uh, enable me to go through or permit me to go through this as extensively as we possibly can. And um, so from the very onset, I'm going to recommend that we have in our podcast uh, series um, treated this particular passage of scripture previously uh, back in 2012. So if you want to look into this in some more detail, over five very, very rich and, and detailed sermons um, where we titled Female Vocals. You can find that on um, iTunes. You can find that on sermon.net and it's somewhere about March 2012. But Paul here, and, I'm, and so I'm just going to highlight key things that Paul is saying here in, with regard to regulating re relationship between men and women in public worship. So he's drawing to their attention that um, men and women both have equal importance and value to God. So, and this has implications for us as believers, both as... In, at, at the same time as it has importance for relationships between men and women in marriage. Whenever when men and women do not listen respectfully and thoughtfully to the other's viewpoints, or don't value the wisdom of the other, or don't value the other's gifts and preferences as much as their own, they really are neglecting the teachings that I highlighted earlier on that we found in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. So, but then that being said, men and women play different roles in marriage, likewise in the church. Um, let's note that before we come to consider the relationship in the church. I mean, looking at marriage, for example, and from the scripture, from the examples we find in Genesis chapter uh, 1, verse 27, there are several things I will just really traipse through. One, and I wouldn't exhaust the list. The man plays a leading role in the relationship. He was made first. He was accountable to God for that relationship that, was, that God instituted. When I say he was made first, it wasn't, it's not a thing about, it's not as if the man made the choice to be made first, but God made the man first. Okay? So let's not be our chest and say, yeah, made first. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. That was God's choice. Okay, God also held man accountable for um, tending the 
looking after creation. But then God also made woman for man to complete him, to help him. The man was defective without the woman, so to speak. And then God created woman for man, but, God, but then God also gave the man responsibility to name the woman, um, and she was made for him to help him and so on. Like I said, I'll just traipse through it. Um, why is all this necessary? There's a lot of confusion about easily, if you were just born into today, about gender roles and gender distinctions. Um, straight away, you, you don't have to look too hard in the news to find out about the kinds of things that men could be said to do that are really functionally roles of women. Take, for example, I mean, men are said to be able to give birth to children these days. You know, um, women are supposed to be able to um, do anything that men can do and, and vice versa. So with all that, do we need clarity about the roles that we play um, as men and women? But even bringing it closer to the church, <coughs> um, are women equal in the sight of God and able to express their differences? Are men and women able to express their differences in the roles that we play in church? <clears throat> are women simply relegated to just being mere husband apprentices who are able to, uh, who are just there as compliments or tools or should we say ornaments for men playing a leading role in church kind of in the similar in a similar way that it used to be back in them old days of hollywood movies where women just play the role as a token for uh the leading man in the, in the movie is that is that the role that god has for men for women in the church can women play no significant role in God's plan for redemption if they're not serving either as a pastor teacher or as elders overseeing the church or even leading their own home? What's the normal pattern for leadership in the church that recognizes and respects God-given differences? I say God-given differences between men and women in the church. So, Quickly moving on, we see Paul trying to address and tackle these questions. And he, it becomes necessary for him to highlight these differences and the importance of the roles that men and women can play in the church. Verse 3, he says, there's one thing I want you to know. Talk about headship. He emphasizes this. You see him emphasize this in, in verse 3 where he talks about the head of every man is Christ. The head of a woman is man. The head of Christ is God. A role distinction or a role that's played by each of these individuals that he lists. Christ leads the man. Uh, Man leads a woman. God leads, or God leads in the Godhead over Christ. 
So he wants the church to understand that the head of every woman, every man, is Christ. Reading that same verse again in the um, ESV, just to bring out a, a slight nuance of, of, of importance as we look at this. In verse 3 in the uh, ESV, rather than talk about the head of the woman is man, it reads the head of a wife is her husband. Otherwise, then we'd leave ourselves all confused about, wait a minute, um, are you suggesting be that, you know, men lead every woman, that women are inferior? No. I mean, thankfully, I, I aim to set that out at the beginning of this message. And I must confess, it's, um, I mean, someone asked me just this morning, like, bro, you've got a really difficult text to deal with. I mean, um, and amongst the elders, we just kind of joked about it, like, look, I dodged the bullet here. But, you know, it's not something we want to run away from or dodge or avoid. But let's acknowledge the facts, the truth of the roles that God gives and the roles that God defined while acknowledging how special both man and woman, or male and female, are in God's eyes. Now, um, he, wants, he points out this, this, um, uh, this, these roles and their importance. And going on to verse 4, still talking about headship, a man dishonors his head if he covers his head while praying or prophesying. Why is, where, again, we see Paul coming back and, and beginning to address appearances in public worship or conduct in public worship. Because as he goes on to talk about, we, we see this, this, this is apparent, and how do I know this? We look at the verses 4 and 5. He's talking about praying and prophesying. If you look at verse 4, covers his head while praying and, or prophesying. And then in verse 5 as well, also talking about the wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonor, dishonors her head. Now, it begins to get a bit confusing because it's talking about head and then talking about covering the head. Wait a minute. The man's head is Christ, but then the man covers his head. Is he putting a cover over Christ? Or is he putting a cover over his literal head? Okay. Now we need the Starship Enterprise, uh, USS Enterprise, to beam us back to Corinth so that we can figure out this, these confusing messages that we seem to be getting from Paul, talking about head and covering the head. Um, <clears throat> I realize or recognize that... I recognize that the... Um, this text is one that is controversial and one that a lot of people may be already familiar with, you know. And when you talk about 1 Corinthians 11, people say, oh, the passage about head covering. Yes, they're right in identifying it as a passage about head covering. But what's the issue with head covering? Okay. So let's assume that we've been beamed to first century Corinth and we get out of the spaceship or wherever the port, wherever, wherever the port has landed us and we're 
in Corinth, and we're walking alongside a brother and sister. Should we say, I know they were in Ephesus, weren't they? Aquila and Priscilla. Let's say they're visiting Corinth. <laughs> Let's look for some companions to walk us through the town. As they walk us through Corinth, they're telling us about, oh, over there, yes, that temple right there up on the hill, that used to be the temple of the goddess Aphrodite. And, you know, there were loads of temple prostitutes who used to come down from there during the Isthmian Games. And right over there is the port. The port. Many sailors came into town. Uh, you could identify the prostitutes by seeing those women, really fit-looking, but one thing that's got, that stood them out was, boy, their head, was, their head was shaven in lots of instances. That's how you know they were one of the temple prostitutes. Ah, I understand now. Understand what? Well, what about, what else went on? What about this men thing? You know, and in, um, in the same way, here is Paul. What, 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 what does that information serve us? What does that information do to help us understand this issue about the covering of the head while praying or prophesying? And why is it in being spoken in relation to wife and man? Well, this was a distinguishing feature of that, that would ease, that, that by which you could tell a respectable woman from a loose woman in that society. And if while in church, you've come to church, we get, we get together with these believers in the church in Corinth and on the Lord's Day and in the early church, don't forget, this is in a culture that is not um, pervaded altogether by the gospel. This is the very early days of the church. There's people who still believe in a plethora of gods. And in the church, suddenly some woman gets up to prophesy or to pray. Prophesy indeed meaning telling about the glories of God, telling about the goodness of God, telling about the greatness of this salvation that Jesus has wrought, the good news. And... Some Corinthian is there looking and seeing this woman, head shaven, and gets confused. Like, come, but hold on. Why is her head shaven? He's hearing the good news that she's talking about the gospel, about Jesus Christ. But hold on. She looks like one of those, you know, one of those women I used to roll with whenever I came into town, like... Before I came to Christ, I, I, I don't understand. So, Paul brings this in, and it's important enough for him to make that distinction. That look, culturally, there is a relevance, there is a sensitivity here to be had with regard to how um, the, the wife or the woman standing up to pray He's not saying that women couldn't stand up or pray, stand up to pray. He's not saying women couldn't stand up to testify of the goodness of God. But he's saying, look, presentation matters. And this is with specific relevance to the church in Corinth. 
similar concerns likewise for the man. And, but for the woman in particular, how do you tell that she's a respectable woman? Rather than have her head shaven, she had uh, or wore a veil, a head covering, to indicate culturally that, hey, this is a woman who is indeed uh, um, in a relationship where she is submitted to the authority of a man. She's a respectable woman, so to speak. And in that sense, right, it gives credence or credibility. It doesn't remove from the message, from the, from the uh, worship that she's given freely, confidently, spirit-filled and spirit-led to God in the gathering and in the assembly of the church. So, um, verses, in verses 4 and 5, that's the emphasis, that's the point, that's the concern raised here. Note we've already highlighted and pointed out. She's free to worship. She's equal in the sight of God, created in His image, representing Him. But, hey, Paul's highlighting, guys, do this with sensitivity in your midst there in the church. But every wife who prays and prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. If she did that, if she did otherwise, she would be dishonoring or not giving regard to one, to God, as we will see as we go on in a few uh, verses. And um, she would not be giving regard also to um, the order that God has established in creating man and woman in a marriage relationship where, where he gives man the role to lead there. But quickly, just whizzing through verses 4, 5, um, he emphasizes this point. And I think I, I've um, covered this already in verse 6. Yes, if she refuses to wear a head covering, she should cut off all her hair. Again, this is emphasizing the need for cultural sensitivity in her conduct in public worship. She should, she should cut her hair short or she cut off all her hair. But, of course, Paul is not recommending or asking that this be done. But rather, the point is this. As he um, brings the point to, he's trying to make, um, to, brings it home in verses, in the latter part of verse 6 and 7. Since... It is shameful for a woman to have her hair cut or her head shaved. So you see, he's not suggesting that. She should wear a covering. Why should she do that? So again, to reflect the fact that she is submitted to authority, an authority that or submitted in a role, in a relationship, where she acknowledges that God has given a man headship here, or God has given a man a lead here, and um, she should wear a covering, People in that culture would appreciate and, and acknowledge that. And also, for a man, in verse 7, a man should not wear anything on his head when worshipping, to honor his head, because man is made in God's image. And indeed, God is <clears throat> our head. 
So, thinking about these things, um, it's the the Paul is given the basis. He's, he has given he's given the basis, which I made clear in the introduction, that God has established uh, in created male and female. God's made them in His image. He's created them to have harmonious interpersonal relationships. He's given them equality in personhood and importance. But then there are differences in roles and authority, which is highlighting in these verses. So, um, yet in creating all of these things, um, God, Paul, Paul brings us to see that the woman also reflects God's glory. Um, and just going back to, sorry. He says here that a man should not wear anything on his head when worshiping, for man is made in God's image and reflects God's glory. And then also that the woman reflects the man's glory because that was the point in the cultural sensitivity there. So whilst he's emphasizing that there is a relationship um, of authority with the man being, with the, man being uh, the glory of, of with, sorry, with Christ being the head of the man and the man being the head of the woman, in, these, in conducting themselves in this manner, both the man and the woman give honor to those who are in authority over them in, in that culture. Now, um, we go on to see a further point that Paul is making. And he gives the basis for this, which I just thought, okay, better to get this out of the way for the sake of time uh, in verses 8 and 9 that the first man didn't come from woman, and, but the first woman came from man. So therefore, just again reiterating the points that I made earlier in the beginning about um, man's place in terms of being first and made first for, uh, and, and having, and having a, pre, pre, a prominent role to play in the relationship, a leading role to play in, in the relationship. Now, here is where some of the difficulty in bringing this and its relevance to us comes out. Let's stay with Paul um, from verse 9 and just follow carefully. I mean, as I was looking at this, I just said to myself, I mean, I reminded of... Um, um, the Wizard of Oz, where, where the wizard tells Dorothy and her friends, look, just follow the yellow brick road and stay on, stay on point. Here we need to stay on point with Paul because the arguments or the points that he's making are indeed of significance. Pain, he's pained enough to want to bring this to the awareness of the church so that they understand and see what, this, what, what importance this holds for public worship. Now, Verse 9, Paul says, And man was not made for woman, but woman was made for man. 
Let's stay with Paul here. Woman was made for man. Listening to this, we may not like the sound of that. I mean, does, does that mean, you know, we have to be very careful as women when we're going into relationships with men? Should we take that to mean that men can just do whatever we like with this woman because I've paid the bride price, you know? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking out, I'm thinking this is Nigerian in me thinking out loud here. I've paid the price price, so she is mine. Kind of like my iPad is mine. I can do whatever I like with it. I can give it away if I want. I mean, excuse me, we're talking about another person made in the image of God here. It's not licensed for abuse. Uh, meanwhile, it is not a prompter to say, right, hmm, if I'm, if I'm actually considering a relationship with this brother here, I need to get a very smart lawyer that can draw up some prenups for me so that this guy does not take advantage um, and just think he's, he owns me now and therefore can do whatever he likes, you know? Um, but then it doesn't mean... Does it mean that um, we also... Perhaps as women, and I'm not, I, it's, it's difficult for me to see this from a woman's perspective. But then, I praise God because I need a woman's perspective here to see how this works. Um, does that mean that women can't do anything on their own? Can't do anything in terms of ministry? Can't do anything whatsoever unless the man says yes? Go ahead. You know? Um, does that mean men call the shots on any ideas that um, women come up with with regard to ministry? I said, let's stay with Paul here. Let's be very careful to stay with Paul because the argument he's making is not trying to bring up the battle or resurrect the battle of the sexes. Because thinking about it, these kinds of considerations or thoughts that I've just raised or commented, just, just raising, commenting about what Paul's saying here, are things that really only come up as a result of our fallen human nature. I described the relationship that men and women have in terms of creation, with God. Both made equal, both bearing the image of God, both important, you know? But with the fall, boy, everything gets twisted. These kinds of considerations that I talk about come into play. Ah, this is a church that doesn't really care about women. Ah, it's only men who are in leadership there. Only men do this, that, and the other. Nothing for women. Listen, I'm voting with my feet. I'm gone because women don't feature. But that's not the plan of God. That isn't the plan at all. Um, and to be honest, with 
the fall, there's loads of, of considerations, loads of things to think about. Um, I was just as reflecting on this, just thinking how with this pandemic, for example, with this pandemic, for example, there's heightened concerns for abuse in relationships, for, for gender-based abuse, gender-based violence because of increased tensions at home and so on. But does that mean, boy, ignore the relationships or ignore the, the differences between men and women? No. But Paul brings us to say and pay, and, and pay attention again that um, although man was not the, 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 the man was not made for woman, but woman was made for man, um, he says he brings in a point in verse 10, "For this reason, and because the angels are, are watching. A woman should wear a covering on her head to show she's under authority. What's that talking about? <laughs> Does that suggest that, you know, for women who do not wear coverings in, in Corinth, you better be careful as you go down the alleyway. You know, there could be some angels waiting to pounce and sort you out for not wearing a head covering. Definitely not. But... <laughs> That, that we can't take that literally. But in actual fact, what God has ordained in the beginning, where God created man, male and female, giving them different roles, creating an order for the relationship between man and woman, holding the man accountable, having him lead in the relationship. These are things which of course, angels who were there at the beginning of creation would see and witness and watch for. Wow, are these things working like God has ordained? Is that quite an expectation for fallen uh, men or women to live up to? Is that something to ask too much for of women in the church? with regard to relating or how we relate in the church, male and female, one to another. I must confess, to be honest, <laughs> if you have been in relationship in, in, in a minute, whether you're married or not, just try considering and entering or consider relationships you have had with the opposite sex. <sighs> These things are difficult to navigate just humanly speaking. These things are difficult to live up to, to hold a relationship, to understand and appreciate the dynamics in there and how they work. Um, and this has come about because of our fallen nature. This has come about because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There will be a jostling for position. There will be a jostling for, okay, who rules here? Imagine, just imagine trying, trying to enter into a relationship and, um, you know, guy and girl go out on a date. They're just dating. 
or courting or considering a relationship and go out and come with notions of, okay, when we get there, the bill comes up, who gets to pay? Both bring their cards out. Oh, uh, would you or wouldn't you? It's, it's, is that something you would ordinarily, um, is that something you've encountered or experienced before? What would be the motivations behind those wanting to be there and, yeah, let me do this. It's a, it's a man thing for me to do. Or, no, I'm an independent woman. I, I, I'm not going to have any guy paying the bill for me and things like that. Just imagine um, those things there. But Paul is not trying to confuse the church in bringing in things of cultural, things, just, just trying to bring them into what the culture dictates. What he's saying and referring to the relationship that God has established originally um, and the order of things that God has established originally. Um, so, to show that she's under authority and then brings it home, but verse 11, among the Lord's people, this is important, amongst the Lord's people, Women are not independent of men, and men are not independent of women. Women are not independent of men, and men are not independent of women. For although the first woman, remember, just the first woman came from man, every other man was born from a woman, and everything comes from God. See how he brings them around to the point of um, seeing that, okay, guys, it's not a matter of you being first and beating your chest about it like it's something you've done. But men and women are equal in personhood and importance. So, um, you just see there that um, in, in God's eyes, apart from Adam being the first man created or be the first being created, it's not the case that, all right, every guy out there was created first before some woman, but they are not in, independent because every other man was born from a woman. I mean, I don't know if there's any guys here who will say, oh boy, I, I just found myself born. I just found myself, you know, I, I, I became self-existent. I came, I was created divinely by God. Like, we're the best things in sliced bread. No. We, we were born of a woman. I know who my mom is. It just makes plain sense. And for this, we don't need to go back to Corinth to get the understanding of what Paul's bringing out here. But... Um, although the first woman came from man, every other man was born from a woman. Um, so judge for yourselves. Judge for yourselves uh, if it is proper for a wife to pray with her head uncovered. This is again bringing out the point about the relationship between men and women and the, and the sensitivity with which that, uh, with which the Corinthian church needed to regard this. Now, um, as we come to the, as we come to this to this point in the text, I mean the emphasis is this: 
uh, a married woman should honor and recognize her marriage relationship. I mean, and the God-given place of her husband in that relationship. Point is this, that there are um, different roles, different responsibilities that um, men, women have, equal but different. Equal in the sight of God but different um, when it comes to our relationship in, uh, in, our, in marriage. And then coming into the church as well, Paul highlights that <clears throat> there are indeed differences that, that uh, become important with regard to our relationship uh, and our conduct of, of worship in the church. Um, now, some questions that we may want to consider when it comes to how this applies, how this applies. I mean, and I asked them at the beginning of the, uh, the introduction, does this mean then that um, when it comes to church, that women can't play any roles at all? I think the, 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 the clear application that Paul gives, even as he begins to make the point to the church, is this. Look, women have a place. Women have a place in worship. They have a place in the public life of the church. I mean, just take, for example, um, let me stick to the text. <laughs> take, for example... Verse, um, in the earlier verses, in verse 5, he's talking about women praying. He's talking about women sharing in church. Women praying, women prophesying. He didn't bar them completely from having any part at all in public worship, but they did have a part to play. That was appropriate. Um, and he had them also... Um, he, he just, he ju he's just his concern there was with regard to them doing so sensitively in the church. Now, um, the, the, other the other point I just want to emphasize and uh, bring home by way of application as well, which is what Paul's, um, the, la the last part of this section that we're looking at in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16, he asks this question because he's, he's given the local context, he's given the cultural context within which this part that women play in the public worship of the church, he's given the context for how it should be conducted. But then he raises a, he raises a, he raises a point of, if you like, caution, if anyone wants to argue about this, and this would be the among, amongst the Corinthians, with regard to these instructions, I simply say that we have no other customs than this, and neither do God's other churches. Now, um, what kind of teaching or ministry could women have in, 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 in terms of playing a role in the church. Was he talking about, um, here from the text we can see, 
that they could lead in praying, they could lead in prophesying and sharing? Was he talking about them having a role where they're playing actually a, 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 an official teaching role, constantly being the teacher, pastor in the church? Was he talking about where women could have a role of actually playing oversight of the church, like a pastor, elder sort of thing? Um, we read from the same author talking about Paul as he writes to Timothy um, about this, about a similar thing, a similar concern. And in there, he speaks about uh, four, let me read, let me just go there and read as I um, try and bring this home. First Timothy chapter 2. Reading from verse 11, although for a better context from verse 8, but reading, reading, reading from verse 11, actually specifically verse 12, Paul speaks about not permitting a woman to teach or have authority over a man. And in that context, Paul was addressing concerns that Timothy had um, with regard to the church in Ephesus. And there, the concern was about, um, you know, women wanting to have a role, a more liberal position, a more liberal stance where, look, in keeping with a wave of um, feminist liber liberalism, they, they considered, all right, look, let's just bring this thing into the church as well. Women can do whatever. We could also teach like these pastors could teach. We could also play leading roles and oversee the church like these men, Timothy, could do as well. But in addressing that, I mean, specifically and directly, Paul just highlights, look, I don't permit, suggesting there was a uh, desire or request for that to be allowed. But in not granting that permission, Paul's saying there that, no, 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 that's not something we need to have. That's not something that is actually permitted in the church um, there. And um, also saying that he didn't, also saying that he goes on in the same letter just to address Timothy's concern and um, within a few verses, he's talking about the role of an overseer and giving definition to those who actually could be considered for that role. Bishops being the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, and of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, and so on, you know, and then give, having reference to their wives as well. So what roles were there that could be played um, in the church for men and women, and how are we any uh, different, or how are, we any, how are we similar to these? Well, there are many concerns these days that could lead us to ask the questions as to whether these same, whether, whether these same considerations could be given to um, the roles of women in the church. I mean, we, we hear out 
outside of these, um, outside of Ecclesia, we hear about, you know, ordained women in, in churches. We hear about ordained leaders in churches. We hear about even self-acclaimed um, leaders, women leading churches, and so on. But just looking at the basis that Paul has given here, there really isn't um, mandate for that. There really isn't clarity um, to support those kinds of, to support those positions. And uh, saying that, again, I acknowledge that, yeah, this is indeed, and I think it's kind of been apparent that this is indeed um, a not necessarily impossible task or impossible um, uh, text to handle or deal with, but really controversial in the sense that whilst there is pressure for those concerns to be addressed and considered and for the church to be taken to another extreme, the position of the Lord really is one of um, both men and women being equal, representing God in His image, equal in the sight of God, um, having differences, in role, having differences in function, and indeed having difference as well in terms of the roles that they play in leading and um, directing the affairs of the church. I would really have loved to uh, give more time to this um, and to express this in a, um, in a manner that would enable, you know, following along and, and getting to see how this plays out in the life of the church. But simply put, I think it gives us opportunity to reflect and consider that for us as men and women in the church, for us as men and women believers, there is um, great value in each of us bearing the identity, bearing the roles, bearing the, 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 the functions in the way God has created us. There isn't need for us to struggle or want to jostle for men to try and play the roles of women or for men to try and be women or for women to try being men um, and to try and assume roles that God has not given us. Um, it's not just simply about sexual relations and sexuality. It's not just about... Um, um, that, but there are easily a lot of evils that arise where we don't quite understand or appreciate the, that we are both made in the image of God, both equal in the sight of God and yet different in his eyes and in the roles that he gives us to play in the church and in our marriages. Um, so with that, let me just... Um, conclude and say that, you know, God has indeed given, there, there, is, there is a model for um, the different roles and differences that, that men and women play in the life of the church. And clearly, it is one that establishes, that recognizes difference, but yet gives uh, men a position of leading, but without excluding um, 
without excluding women from playing a role in the sight of God. And yes, there is ample room for differences in the roles that we play in the church. None being relegated to any inferior place and none have, and men neither having superiority over women as such in the, may, in the way that God has created us. So let me just pray. Um, I, I suspect there is going to be need for us to um, get together at some point and try and chop this up even more during the week. Um, so at this point, let me just pray and um, trust that, you know, God's word will have its way even in our hearts. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you. And um, much as I acknowledge the, uh, the sense of and the feeling of ill-preparedness for this, yet your word is clear that um, you have established order. You have made man and woman in your image. You have established order in the, um, with regard to public worship. Even for us to um, really recognize what impression our conduct, even in our relationship, how we relate man to woman, husband to wife in our fellowship, um, and how we relate in the roles that you have given in the church. Even for, for us to have leadership, for us to have oversight, and yet not neglect the contributions that our women can make to the church. Lord, I pray indeed help us to uh, learn and see this model that you have established, even as you have done it right from the beginning. I know we have fallen. I know we are on learning things we have learned from the world. I know there's a lot of confusion about gender distinction today, but Lord God, help us to see that we are all indeed equal, invaluable in your sight. Lord, Again, I commit this word to you and pray that you have your way in our hearts, even as we um, consider and ponder on these things. I pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.